Well, it would be the ability to talk to people. Mm. Uh, it would be the ability to communicate to people. Um, and it would be like if I said, what's the most important part of intelligence? Let's take it that way. Mm. It would be to have some idea of what's going on with the other person. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, Executive Vice President, Strategic Partnerships with Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents harness the power of verified reviews. For more information, head on over to ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 360 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, I have a real treat for you. We are headed to Phoenix, Arizona, where we are going to be talking to one of the legends of Phoenix real estate. Some might say the godfather, just a huge figure in Phoenix real estate. I'm talking about Russell Shaw. Russell is with Realty One Group. When I first moved to Phoenix, he was bigger than life. Uh, you're going to see that as we get into the conversations. The phrase, I'm applying for a job, is something that if you were in Phoenix in the early 2000s, you heard it over and over and over. Just an amazing guy. Let's get this thing started. Russ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Bill. I appreciate you having me on. I've I've been remiss in waiting this long to have you on here. And I, you know, I just introduced you as as the as the legend of of <laughs> Phoenix real estate and some of the great things you've done and the fact that I first moved to Phoenix in 2000 and my mornings were greeted just about every morning watching the news with I'm applying for a job. Uh -huh. Who is that? <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about that uh -huh. shortly. But first, I'd like to start at the beginning. Sure. Russ, you're a native Phoenician. Yes. There are very few of you floating around. Well, I was, yeah. I was born in Phoenix, lived in Phoenix all my life. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about, first of all, some of the changes oh from my the time God. you were growing Oh, my <laughs> Go God. Ahead. Like when I was a little kid. Well, no, I'll give you a better example. There was a policeman killed motorcycle patrolman killed. His name was Arthur Blum. The reason I remember this, uh, it was uh, over by the Bali High Motel off of uh, Grand Avenue, and uh, he had stopped somebody driving, and he radios in, and they shot him from the back of a camper van. At the time, it was the biggest manhunt in the state until they found those people. Wow. There had never been anything in Arizona like it. What was interesting, fast forward now, if a cop gets killed, it doesn't even make the front page of the Arizona Republic. It's on, it's on the second section on B1 below the fold. I'm just right. giving you a for instance. Yeah. We were a sleepy little town, and we didn't have the, the Black Canyon Freeway. Uh, I-17 had not been, that was our first freeway. Uh, I-10, Phoenix was the only place in the country where truckers on I-10 drove down Van Buren because there was about 25 miles where they had to get off the freeway and drive on city streets. So I'm telling you, Van Buren, think of like 16th Street and Van the long-haul truck drivers were coming across these city streets 
to get back on the freeway. Wow. And they were on city streets for about 25 miles. All that stuff, none of those things had happened yet. And Phoenix was this sleepy little town. The population of the city of Phoenix was around, it, it wasn't a million. It was more like about 700,000. Wow. And uh, now it's one of the biggest populated cities in the nation. Right. Uh, period. I mean, without any modifier on it. Uh, the areas like in the north, like the Dreamy, that was like out in the country, like yeah. driving to what is now uh, 30 sec, like, like say 32nd Street and Bell. Sure. Those were all dirt roads. Wow. Those were dirt roads. Well, uh, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I, I can't even imagine like trying to get. Over towards East Mesa. I mean, I, I remember in yeah, 2000, yeah. You, you would drive on McDowell for yeah, 30 miles. Quite, quite baseline. <laughs> yes, quite literally. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, it, it's changed so dramatically. Yeah. And the inflow of population. I, I remember one time I was at a realtor luncheon and this really nice and very knowledgeable man from ADOT. Uh, Arizona Department of Transportation was there giving a talk. And he couldn't have been, I, I thought it was fascinating. He said they had surveyed people to find out what the citizens of Arizona, the, specifically Phoenix, hoped Phoenix would have. Like, what would we develop into? And the answer that everyone gave, we don't want to be like Los Angeles. <laughs> What made, what made that funny? Nobody, it never occurred to anyone to say, here's what we would like. They right. wanted to hear, well, here's what we don't want. Right. And of course, that's exactly what occurred, sprawl. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, the 101, the 202, the 303, they're all yeah, out yeah. there and everything happened yeah. and now everything's all yeah. spread out. And yeah, yeah so yeah. for those that know Phoenix, uh, it was, boy, I mean, if you got to North Scottsdale to the where the princess is now. That was, mm -hmm. there was nothing up there. Yeah. It was just desert. nothing. Yeah. Quite desert. literally yeah. desert. Yeah. That's cool. So, so, yeah. so Russ, I, I want to find out kind of ultimately how my guests get to real estate. We'll get there with you. But sure. before we go there, tell me what 15 year old Russell's thinking about for a career. You're in high school. What, what do you, what's, what's well, playing through your mind? I was routinely getting kicked out of high school oh, by boy. the time I was 15. <laughs> okay. Different, numerous, numerous different high schools. So I started at Central High, mm -hmm. uh, got kicked out of Central. I'm trying to think. I went to North High. I, I went, went to a lot of different schools, uh, Phoenix Union for a little while. Uh, but what was funny is I always thought, well, maybe someday I'll sell life insurance. I actually had this, uh, I don't know why I had that goal particularly. I, I knew this man my mom knew who seemed to be, I think he did something with insurance. I didn't even know what kind, but he wore a suit and he seemed successful looking to me. I, whether he was or not, I don't know, but he, he was a nice guy. And I thought, well, I'll do what he does. And so uh, and when I was 15, I had become an amateur magician. And I had sort of intertwined, well, maybe I could use magic tricks to, uh, like, literally, like I was doing performances. I would charge $25 to do a show at some birthday party. <laughs> wow. Nice. So I somehow I thought, well, maybe I could use magic tricks to get customers to want to talk to me. <laughs> this, is the kind of, 
<laughs> Were you ever hanging out with Gene Urban at the time? I think you know Gene, no, right? He's a, no, he's a magician. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. Okay. I know the name, but I don't yeah. know him. It's just, um, but it's funny. This was my plan. And I did get into the life insurance business. Yeah, you, okay. I was in it for five years. And what makes it funny is uh, I became what's called a CLU, Chartered Life Underwriter, which is about the same level of education in terms of d- difficulty as a CPA, the okay. test. Sure. And, and what made it funny is I kept thinking, well, once I get that, I'll, I'll like the business better. I actually hated selling life insurance. Okay. I didn't dislike it. I, I hated it. And when I left, I had no idea that I would wind up in real estate. And when I did, it was just because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't. I knew I didn't want to sell cars, and I couldn't bear the idea of going back to life insurance. And so I wound up as a realtor. And my first year, actually my first nine months, I wound up selling enough to make eighty-seven thousand dollars. Wow. I could not, but I found that in real estate, you could walk up to anyone randomly and say, uh, I'm a realtor. And they would immediately want to start talking to you about house prices and different houses they'd seen and this sort of thing. If you were sold life insurance and you said to someone, hi, I sell life, oh God, they wanted to get away from you. Because right. part of, well, part, and this is not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to life insurance salespeople, or it's not that I don't believe in that product, people shouldn't have it, but the whole sales pitch is basically getting someone to start visualize themselves dying and leaving their family broke. This is, this isn't one of the things that life insurance salesmen do. It's the thing they have to do. Right. And the sales trainers would literally say stuff like, no, when you're at the table, you've got to back up the hearse. You've got to get them seeing themselves in the coffin. Like if you were trying to sell a $100,000 policy back in the day, sure, you had to get that guy to start confronting, you died and she doesn't have any money. Uh, And that was what I hated doing. So I used to have this joke of maybe I could come over and see you and talk about your death. <laughs> Look, I this 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 works for me now when I think about you know your how funny you are, Russ. Like I mean, uh-huh. there you're doing stuff on social. We're going to talk about that, but let's start first with where you got to really have fun with comedy. I know you did a little bit of stand up, but you got into radio. Yes. And, and and you're doing this at the same time you're selling life insurance. Yes. So my guess is you probably wrote some bits that you probably yes. couldn't pull out in front of a customer. I'm just guessing. You know, um, yeah, that would be an understatement. I did commercials and I was part of a couple of different comedy shows okay. that were on the air. But I wrote commercials and my probably if I had to pick what became my claim to fame, uh, there was a moving company in uh, Mesa at Southern and Country Club mm-hmm. named Lepla Moving and Storage. And KDKB's AM Tower was in Lepla's parking lot. Nice. Henry Lepla, the owner and president of Lepla Moving and Storage, had a right to have X number of 30-second spots run on the air in exchange for money that he, they weren't giving him right. to pay for the parking lot was a trade out. Yep. 
So disc jockeys, when they got off the air, were having this sort of hot potato, like, okay, it's your turn. You make these spots. You write something and put it on. And nobody really wanted it. I mean, different people did it. I was already hanging around the station and doing different things and j little jokes and stuff. Marty comes to me, and uh, he sort of gave me my break, to tell you the truth. He goes, uh, would you like to do the Lepla commercials? I go, sure. Well, since no one, like I wound up later functioning like a small ad agency as I got established because the Lepla commercials worked so well. Henry Lepla, first time ever, writes a letter to the station going, I don't know what you guys are doing. I've never listened to the station, but we're getting the phone to ring all the time. <laughs> nice. We've gotten more business in that. Actually, when I started doing those commercials, than they had in the previous years. And so, and that continued. So the sales staff at KDKB realized this. What made it funny is then different com different advertisers wind up calling me and go, hey, could you do some commercials for us? So I wound up making a living doing commercials for other people. But with the Lepla commercial, they were supposed to be 30-second spots. I had complete carte blanche to say whatever I wanted. Some of them I didn't even bother saying their name. <laughs> I, I, when I say, and the, the, the time where they were supposed to be 30 seconds, in radio today, if a spot's supposed to be a 30, it's between 29 and a half and 30. Okay. Any difference from that, they're going to they're gonna compress it. You right. are not going to have a spot that runs at 31 seconds. Right. It's just not going to happen. That's true, obviously, on television as well, is the timing is precise. Right. So I had the right to make them any length I wanted. Some of them were almost a minute long. Some of them were seven seconds long. <laughs> I did whatever the hell I wanted. I could, and I made the, all the commercials uh, about myself. Uh, saying hi, this is as though I were a celebrity. I wasn't uh, endorsing them, uh, like uh, sure, and, and like it's like somebody like I was Bob Dylan or something. Like <laughs> here's the company I normally would use for moving. If I were moving, I'm not moving. You know this kind of thing. So yeah, I yeah. got to write jokes and just put them on the air, and I became as well known as any of the disc jockeys who actually got paid by the station to be there. It was the most fantastic experience because I had complete carte blanche to yeah. do whatever I wanted. And there was no one saying, you, you can't say that here. If I wanted to make a joke about, there's a store called Woolco, a Wilco or something, I can't remember their name, but it would be the equivalent of... Uh, uh, one of these big discount places, sure. like Sam's Club or something. And I could say they're having a special this week on cocaine. Uh, I could I could say anything I wanted, and nobody was mad about it. And right. if somebody called the station complaining, the, you know, the people there thought it was funny. So it wasn't like, oh, you can't say that on the air. Right. Uh, I could say anything I wanted. And it was this – it was unbelievable. Uh, and I – it was an opportunity. So – my initial, so it was years later I did stand up. It, that came, but it was initially 
And then I got on the comedy shows because of people that like a guy named Todd Carroll, who later went to work for National Lampoon, and he later became a screenwriter. He wrote a couple of different shows, and I was on those shows with Todd. So yeah. that's how so that you're, all started. You're, you're, would you say you're not as – you don't have that carte blanche anymore when it, you're coming to your social channels? I know I would. No, I, oh, I do. I could, I could care less at this point uh, because I'm, be, I'm very political. <laughs> Your memes are hilarious. You, you, I think, I think sometimes, Russ, you come right up to a line, and sometimes you, you tip your toe over it. Yeah, yeah. You, you're okay with that. Yeah, I am. <laughs> it, it's like it, it's, it's. My goal is not to offend. My goal is actually partially an educational one. Like I'm like, I do a lot of posts of different philosophical type stuff, a tremendous amount, which don't get the same kind of response as the funny memes or the funny jokes, but um, they're important to me Okay, because it's, it's like I do a lot to help other people, mostly agents, because I'm an opinion leader to most agents, but I, so when someone's in trouble and they have their attention, like it's sort of like what Tony Robbins does, only I'm not selling anything because usually what's holding someone back is a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. Like literally they, yeah. they have a goal of doing something, but their attention is fixated on this stupid thought that, they they're using to explain to themselves why they can't do the thing they really want to do. So that's the kind of, that's the stuff where Tony Robbins has a gift really, or an amazing skill of being able to spot that dumb idea. He can't teach it by the way, like none of the Tony Robbins coaches can, can do it. Tony can't teach it. Because he doesn't have a technology. There's no, he doesn't have some, like, he just knows he can do it. He absolutely knows he can do it, and he's correct. He can do it. I've actually figured out exactly what he does, and I don't do the firewalking or any crap like that. I, I'm a Scientologist, and because of the stuff I've learned from Scientology, I'm able to, when I'm talking to someone, sort of see their dumb thought. And all I'm doing is getting them to see it doesn't belong to them. I'm just getting them to see how does this align with your goals? Like there's something you want. Well, I want blah, blah. Okay, let's put your attention on blah, blah, not this reason, like whatever the crap is. And it's, it's like an agent who loses a deal. I get this, like, I literally have uh, dozens of agents who, when they get stuck, will sort of text me and sort of, can we talk? Sure. And and basically what's happened is they've lost a deal or they've had a crummy customer or something that's given them a loss and they've taken their attention completely off of, I want to be a successful, uh, financially independent, uh, prosperous agent. Like I'm, I'm just saying, making up those, but that's essentially the kind sure, of stuff most agents are trying to do. A lot of agents, that's what they want. Yeah, that's that's what they want. Yeah, and instead they have their attention on how can they stop bad customers from upsetting them. 
Well, yeah. there's a nice goal yeah. because now your attention's fixated on stop. Yep. It, 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 right, right there. That's all you'd have to do to screw up your entire life yeah. is fixate on how can I stop blah, blah. Yep. Because now you're pushing against it, which means you're going to have lots of it. <laughs> I, I, I can almost equate that, Russ, to, you know, the worst thing to think about on the golf course is huh? don't hit it in the water. That's, there you go. What there are you, you going to do? What are you going to do? Go. You can hit no, no. Yeah. That's perfect. That's okay. a perfect okay. example. That's literally yeah. a perfect example but, you know, because there's the, what you resist, you get yeah. whatever it is. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. How about this? How, what's the, you talk to agents a lot and, and, and mm-hmm. I've, heard you, I've heard some of your, your commentary on that. What's the most important skill for an agent? What's of all the things that are out there? Is there one thing in your mind you just go, this is really important. You got to nail this. Well, it would be the ability to talk to people. Mm. Uh, it would be the ability to communicate to people. Um, and it would be like if I said, what's the most important part of intelligence? Let's take it that way. Mm. It would be to have some idea of what's going on with the other person. Huh. You're highly skilled in that, just as an, an obvious observation. Like, well, you are. Uh, it, what does this tell me your IQ? No, but it actually tells me you could go talk. You, Bill, could go yeah. talk to anyone anywhere and carry on a conversation with them uh, about something that was interesting to them. Yeah. You know what, Russ? Okay. I can do that. I, can I do know. That. <laughs> and that's my point. But see, that's that skill. So I could make a couple of statements. One it can be learned because it wasn't it can be learned it can't be taught okay yeah. like you could have a class you could have a, a school that said we're going to teach you how to no you're not you're not going to do anything because as soon as you try to format it out but the first thing a, a person who's truly intelligent like you people his iq is 165 and no one wants to talk to him <laughs> yeah. and he's a sickening he's a functional moron but if you say, but he's an electrical engineer, yeah, I'm charmed. And yet you could have some guy who's, I don't, let's pretend his IQ is 110, just a nice per, uh, you know, we, you, you're people, you go, I like to see, I love to talk to so-and-so. Why do you love to talk to so-and-so? Well, they're easy to talk to. Hmm. What makes them easy? They, I feel like they heard what I said and they acknowledge me. Right. So go back to what's the most important skill it would be to be able to talk to people and to have some idea. Uh, like, like currently, you have when I'm making phone calls to like somebody who did business with us, say, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. If somebody called up and you go, I can get you an open door offer on your home. It just makes them mad. It just makes them angry. Right. Because I'd be probably the 10th person that's called them going, would you like to sell your house? Right. They don't, if they did want to sell their house, they'd do something <laughs> yeah. to say to, to some agent, you know, uh, I think I, yeah. I, I might want to sell them. I'll fill out this form or whatever. Yeah. But most people are not trying to sell their house. But if I call them and say, hi, I'm, if you want, correct information on the marketplace, I'm happy to give it to you. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's different. Way different. And, way different. Yeah. That's so anyway. I, I've always explained it um to to friends and other people is as like you want to be the most interesting guy at the party. Um mm-hmm. ask everyone about their kids and don't talk about yours. Yeah. They, they won't even know. They'll just be like, Bill was amazing. I don't know what he uh-huh. does for a living, but he was amazing. Because yeah. yeah, yeah, there you go. What they care about. The, the, it's what yeah, they exactly. You know, you. No, you've mastered it. Yes, yeah. you have. Really, well, you you bring up you bring up your um the, this your philosophy and how to uh-huh. get people to pay attention to you. You pioneered at least in the Phoenix area for absolutely sure. I mean, I this the, these commercials you ran in the early two thousands um, uh-huh. were spectacular, right? And they were, and everybody knew who you were. Now, uh-huh. Ross, you know, some of them were just kind of saying it in jest, but that you didn't care. They were talking about you, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Where they said, you know, this guy who says, I'm applying for a job and no hassle right. listing and talk about um, the development of that, right? Because it, I'm, I think it had a huge impact on on your business. Well, I got, yes, it did. It, it changed everything. So mm-hmm. uh, I, a buddy of mine, a very close friend of mine, we've been friends now for over 50 years, Bob Bozbell. Bob had a show on KSLX. Uh, he was on a morning show. And so I would go to the station at KSLX probably two to three days a week. I wasn't getting paid. I would just go there and do a bit or I would phone in some joke and I could tell it over the air or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was sort of part of the show, but I wasn't officially a part of the show, sort of like years ago at KDKB. And I wind up meeting the general manager and the sales manager and I make a deal with the general manager, his name was Reed Reeker of KSLX, that I will give them these fake commercials that I'm going to write. Uh, I had a law firm and a bank, and I'm going to write these fake uh, Nibbler and Yackler was the name of the <laughs> law firm. And the uh, bank was, uh, I forget the name of it now, but... I, they were, these would run as though they were real commercials, mm-hmm. only they're insane lunacy, and they were intended to be that way. And I would produce, I would come into the studio there every two weeks and give them two new ones. So it would always be fresh that they could run and they would have an exclusive. And in exchange for that, I would get 10 free ads for my business. Wendy and I were the first realtors in America to ever run a a radio ad that worked. But let me tell you how we got there, because that's the part that's unbelievable. No one else had ever done it, because everything you think would work won't. And how I know that is I made it my business when our ad wasn't working at all. And we would rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And nothing made the phone ring. Hmm. I got copies of every radio ad any realtor had ever run. And I put my name where their name was. And ran it. No calls. And I one time just stuck into the listing. If you're not happy, you can cancel or something like that. Phone rings. Why did you call me? Well, the part where you said I could cancel. Mm. Oh, okay. 
is a genius. So I made a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a deal, by the way. I got okay. a phone call. All right. When I tell you it took us just over a year of nonstop trial and error. See, no one would have kept spending the money right. to make the phone ring one time. And it was from that fir those first couple of phone calls, we were able to evolve what was the consumer thinking. So ads saying, you'll love me, nobody gave a crap. Ads talking about a house, nobody gave a crap. Um, it was literally what would be a benefit to the consumer. Mm -hmm. That's all that mattered. How would they like this? And so we evolved. An ad. And I actually, at the, for the longest time, we had the airways to ourselves. We didn't have any competition. Um, anyone attempting to copy me, it wasn't going to work unless they ran the ad we were running. <laughs> it was yeah. just that simple. Yeah. That's not true anymore. Uh, it, it, so we blazed the trail. The story of how I got to that, I'm applying for a job. I read a book by a man named Robert Half, H-A-L-F, and the book was entitled The Way to Get Hired in Today's Job Market. Hmm. Okay. And it was literally, he's, he runs the biggest employment agency in the world, or at that time did. I don't even know if he's still alive now, but at one time he, he had the biggest company that was an employment agency uh, where you would go to him. And so, I realized that when I wanted to get a listing, I was factually applying for a job. That's where I got the idea. Yeah. And I took awesome. it, I took it from that book. This he, he was saying, like when you're going on, you're going to interview, you should do this, you should wear a suit, you should whatever the heck the rules were. Um, I started using that as though I'm applying for a job. And what was interesting is the public loved it. Like they were like, yeah, you are. Uh, and I fear, and then later, we, we, Wendy's the copywriting genius. If you're not happy, fire me. That evolved, but that wasn't initially. It was more initially. I'm just so we tinkered with the ad copy endlessly. But that's how that started. A little birdie told me. That you'll have to figure out which birdie in Phoenix shared uh, yeah, yeah. that uh -huh. that you're you are a part of Gary Keller's The Millionaire Agent book. Now, yes. not being a realtor, it's my bad. I, I, I because I'm so yeah. close to the business, I should read this book, but I haven't. How did you get to be mentioned by Gary? What happened? Uh, I you're not a Keller Williams agent. No, I know, yeah. but that's not the point of the book. So yeah. no, the first thing I'll say, uh, it was an honor that Gary chose me, hmm. and it was Gary that did. Uh, Dave Jenks is the one I actually did the interview with. It was an amazing thing. I met Gary the very first time. Uh, I was on a panel, and so I, it was the first time I met Gary, and uh, he asked me some question. Whatever the answer is, I would answer it, and he asked me some question he was asking for each of us, uh, what about this? What about that? And my answer was, oh, on that subject, I'm an idiot. I don't do that. Wendy does it. And he goes, but Gary's not like a zany man. 
And so he uh, he goes, no, no, you're making a joke. And I go, no, I'm actually not making a joke. The question was, if I understood it, whatever the hell, I repeated it. And I said, that's not an area uh, of expertise for me. That's something Wendy takes care of at my office. Like, we've been, I guess, like her natural skills and my natural skills are sort of divided in the sense that what I handle or what would be, no, no, my decision is X, but it would be the important one. But so would hers on that stuff that she's the, Mm -hmm. uh, she knows more. She's smarter than me on that stuff, period. Anyway, uh, Gary then wants to meet me and I get wind up at this lunch at the Biltmore because he wants to recruit me is what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But I wound up, they, they, he, he and Dave liked, uh, what I was saying enough that they said they wanted to come interview me. And my office was at that time a building built onto the side of my house. And uh, it became the most played uh, video in all of the KW, uh, uh, whatever the hell the title was of the series. We were the very first one. I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. The, they wound up doing tons and tons and tons of these, and I don't remember the name they gave them, but the one with me and Wendy, and what they what the people were responding to, the Keller Williams agents were responding to on that video of ours, is everything we were talking about in terms of systems was a replicatable system. Hmm. There wasn't anything about it that you go, oh, no, uh, this had nothing to do with let's talk about how to do TV ads or how to do radio ads. So what they did after this, when Gary decided to write a book, we were one of 15 agents that got picked. Mike Mendoza was one. Mm-hmm. I'm just means to give you a local example. Yep. The year the book went to press, there was an agent out of New Mexico. I do not remember her name. I remember she was with Colwell Banker. And her commissions that year, her share, $5.5 million. This is commissions, not volume. Wow. And she didn't make the cut for the book. Wow. And let me tell you why. It wasn't that she wasn't fabulous. She's most clearly fabulous. She had 87 clients. She only did investor, buy, sell stuff for investors. She had 87 clients. She wasn't taking on new clients. Mm. Like, this is it. I can't, I don't want any more. I have 87 clients and I'm busy and I don't have time for some new person. And, uh, but that didn't, they didn't want her in the book, not because she wasn't awesome, but because there was nothing about what she was doing that was a replicatable system. Right. Unlike, let's say, oh, here's, here's another guy that was in the book locally, Bill Ryan. Sure, sure. So Bill. Yep. So we were, but, but what made this amazing, if you say, did Bill get his business or did Mike Mendoza get his business the same way I did? No, but that wasn't what they were trying to find out. It wasn't a book about how do you get business? The book was, how do you go from being a regular deal, I'm I'm living from deal to deal agent, into having a business? That was the whole point of the book. 
It wasn't. It doesn't have people read to go. I don't see how we get. It was, that's not what it's about. Yeah. Um, imagine if you had a book like oh I don't know uh, the E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber, which is in my opinion one of the most amazingly wonderful books ever written for business people, particularly small business people. Uh, the E-Myth Revis, the original, not all the extra crap that got redone when people, you know, Mike, you should do it. I'm yeah. talking about that first book. It was fantastic. Well, this is like that. This is the, the MREA book is a book on if you are an agent and you spend your time doing this. Here, here's an example. If you didn't have an assistant, you are one. Mm. Just, just, take, just take that. Yep. So you, you had like the like what they did is they interviewed with tons of questions and they took the things that all 15 of us had in common and they made the book about that. Right. But it was it was it was data. It wasn't like uh, Bill Ryan's opinion. They were not, Gary was not interested in uh, my fascinating opinions or Bill Ryan's fascinating opinions. That wasn't the point. I'm not, I'm being deliberately sarcastic because sure. I, I think Gary, I think Gary Keller is the smartest person in the universe on the subject of agent success. If you look at just his series of books, if if you took a company, any of the big companies, and they had like let's say Rheology or whatever their current name is, if they had one tenth of that information, they wouldn't be sharing it. It'd be a trade secret. Gary takes all of the information, then gives it first to his sort of inner cadre, then gives it to the whole company, then gives it to the industry, hmm. and it's just it's amazing. He's just he's truly. Uh, otherworldly amazing. See, if you looked at a regular agent could do 20 deals a year on their own. There's no, yeah, they could, they keep doing it. Yeah, they could. Now make it 40 deals. Now, could you keep doing that? Well, if you want to have a heart attack, (laughs) right? Right. if you, if you want to have some medical problems. uh, So at around 40 deals, you're going to need some help. It's just that simple. Yeah. You're going to need some help. And at 60 deals, you have 60 deals a year, you have to have help. So there was a lot of stuff. And if you look at Keller Williams, uh, they made a science out of how to hire people in, in dif- different training. But it's really a hit and miss. Like, no matter what you think you know about hiring, you're probably wrong. <laughs> I'm serious. Nice. So the key is, if because one of the things, I, and I learned this from Gary, an assist, a good assistant does not cost you anything because a good assistant makes your life better in less than 10 days. And if that's not happening, you have hired the wrong person. Wow. That's Gary. That's yeah. verbatim from Gary Keller. Yeah. And, and so you, if you take uh, in hiring, so if you hire the wrong assistant and they're constantly taking more of your time as opposed to taking work away from you that lets you concentrate on lead generation. Because if you look at what does the team leader, the, not, I'm not talking the KW term, but I mean, it, when you run an office, what is the one skill 
that you have that everyone else doesn't. Rainmaker. Just that one. Yep. Just that one skill. And when I see these teams, so to speak, they're hiring people to generate leads for them. My question is, if they can generate leads, why would they need you? <laughs> I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Like if they, it's the very thing they can't easily do is generate leads. That's why they want to be on a team. If they could easily generate leads, they don't need to be on a team. It's just stupid. I mean, right. they might be a leader of a team or in charge of lead generation for a team. But if they can generate leads, they don't need someone to, well, let me feed you. But when you have people who are, if you take the average realtor, I'm not talking the crooks and the SOBs. I'm just take the average agent who's been in the business a while. Let's say and describe them. They're a nice person, yeah. probably a woman. Most of them are female now. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they're honest. These are honest people. And these are the people that are doing eight to maybe 15 deals a year. They know the contract. They go to all the classes. They're really nice people. And they're never going to sell 100 houses a year. Why? Because they don't have any system. It's like people meet them. They like them. They trust them. If you give them a buyer, they're very trustworthy. Like when someone would call me and go, you should hire me. I'm a good closer. That's the last thing I want. Mm -hmm. I don't want a good closer. I want someone, if my closest friend needs to buy a house, I want someone that will watch out for my friend. I don't want to drive him around. When my, when my sister Diane needed a house, I don't want to drive her around town going, do you like that one? Uh, I, but I want someone I can totally trust, who's trustworthy and reliable, all the qualities that would matter. Uh, that's who I want to hire. Right is someone who would take care of the client, period. That's really the end of that list. Uh, the the person, and, I, when, and if you say, do we close sales? I've read almost every book on selling. Most of them are complete crap. Uh, they have these techniques where you they sort of encourage you. Let's say, uh, what was that? Dale Carnegie, how to have a nice smirk on your face and be insincere. Uh, you know, like if you just, it, it, I tell agents, if you're around, if you're able to be around most people and you feel comfortable in your own skin and you're around someone that you just have nothing but bad vibes from, get the hell out of there. Uh. Do not take them on as a client uh, unless you feel that in one of your past lives you did something so awful you need to make up for it. Uh, <laughs> just leave. Get the hell out. Get away from them. Uh, honestly, the world's chock full of nice people. I mean, seriously, yeah. nice people, yeah. good people, honest people. That's who I want as a client. That's, I mean, seriously, somebody who you do something for them and they're like, thank you. That, that's, it's not complicated. And it's like, if you meet, when you meet people, you, I mean, you're an exception because you, you would have more of a sensitivity of what you're looking at with the person. But even a new agent, you you know, like some people, you just don't feel right when you're around them. Hmm. Leave. See, if you don't feel right around anyone, the problem's with that person. Yes. But if you're like with most everyone you meet, you're very comfortable around them. If you just singled out the ones you're not 
completely comfortable around right. and avoided doing business with those people. You go, really? I go, really? Like there's people who are passive aggressive. If somebody does that shit with me, does it affect me? No. But I have people that work for me. If somebody called up and started giving them some shit, it would wreck their life. Yeah. And I don't want my staff treated that way. So you you understand. I yeah. Know you understand. Yeah. It's, and, and Russ, the, this what you're talking about right now is the way you run your business right now. It's also mm-hmm. the way you ran your business 20 years ago, 25 yes. years ago. This hasn't yes. changed. There's no there's no magic going on here no. with the no. with the amateur magician. It's just this no. is what it no. is. No, <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's honestly it's one of the things is treating people the way I want to be treated. Sure. You know, if somebody goes to a car dealer and, and, and let's say they want to buy a car. They want to, they need a new car. And the salesman comes out, they'll say, I, I'm just looking. They're not just looking, <laughs> but they don't want to be pestered to death. Yeah. Well, if I can head that off at the pass to let someone know, I, I'm totally willing to give them information and answer their questions and then say, you know, uh, and I don't even call them back unless I ask them, is it, would you like me to call you back in a couple of weeks or in a month to see how, yeah, I would, then I'm going to call them back. Wow, that's great. I'm not trying to drive them crazy. Uh, I don't want that done to me. And so I don't want to do it to them. And uh, we'd never, I have a joke of we tell new people, new hires at the office uh, that under no circumstance should you ever knowingly make a false statement unless it's to avoid hurting someone's feelings or to help make a deal. (laughs) (laughs) It just blew up everything you just said. (laughs) 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 All right. So Russ, I'm going to give you the same final question that the previous 359 <laughs> people. <laughs> well, Jay Thompson was your first. I know that. He was. So that's, yeah, so, that's fantastic. Yeah, okay. so here we go. Um, and his, yeah. his his answer was, in in 2015, his answer was, pick up the damn phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is not bad, right? But so what, I may go with that no. one. <laughs> I think I might. I mean, I don't want to be boring, but yeah. I think Jay's really smart. <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, I, I think of Jay Thompson as one of the most likable people. And here, here's what I would say. In the early days, I don't know how much Zillow paid him, but whatever it was, it wasn't too much. Uh, he made a difference like night and day. They hired the most likable person in America to be on point for the people that hated Zillow. Yep. And nobody hated Jay. See, that's the thing. Yeah, it was nobody, great. Yeah, yeah. Nobody hated Jay Thompson. Yeah. They might have hated Zillow, but they did not hate Jay Thompson. Yeah. Anyone who knows him or talked to him, or they go, well, you, how do you not like Jay Thompson? Yeah. No, seriously. No, I agree. I agree. He's a smart guy, and yeah. he's honest. And if he doesn't know something, he would say, I don't know, or something real yep. catchy like that. Yep. So, yeah. Well, that, what's that one piece of advice you would give a new agent just starting? Go see, not on the phone, go see in person everyone that would recognize you on site. Like if they would see you and go, 
oh, hi, Tom. I mean, whatever. Like they, they would know who you were yeah. and hand them your cards, give them a couple of them and say, good news. I'm now with whatever company it is. Uh, I mean, I'm with Realty One Group. And I just wanted to tell you, if you know anyone that needs to buy or sell a, a, a house, please keep me in mind and then leave. Done. And done that, do that with everyone you know, and uh, you will get business. Russ, congratulations. That's the first time that has been an answer to the final question. You did it. Oh, in, in awesome. eight years of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm delighted. Russ, so thank you for having me on. Thank you. you so much. You've been fantastic. I knew this would be a lot of fun. And, you know, a little controversy thrown in there, too, just to spice it up. I love the way you do that. <laughs> so thank you so it's much. It's a pleasure. Yeah. If people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, just to go to it's simple, simple, go to nohasslelisting.com mm -hmm. and my phone number and my email address is there All right. rather than try to write a bunch of crap. Down. Yeah. Nohasslelisting.com. Everybody heard that. Mm -hmm. Just head on yeah. over. I'll, I'll, I'll even put that in the show notes. Uh, the I'll link. tell you another thing to put in the show sure. uh, notes. I have an agent success site called number one homeagent.com. That's N-U-M-B-E-R numeral one homeagent.com uh, I would make a sweeping statement it's it's my agent success site it looks like crap it's very poorly organized uh, every single thing you would need to be successful in selling real estate residential is there nice I'd make just and, and so and it's free you don't have to register you don't have to do anything uh, Freak freely, come to it when you want. It's a lot of content. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Russell Shaw, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure, Bill. Thanks. You're a great guy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app.